Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it's okay to admit that you're overwhelmed. We as your pastors, we see it, we sense it, we know it. Hurried, burdened, heavy, frazzled, overdone, overwrought, frantic. I see it in many of you regularly. Some of you wear it loudly, and that's okay. Some of you who are the most put together, I know that you are just barely hanging on right now. And some of you maybe here today, you would go, I'm not particularly overwhelmed, and that's great, but I think you know that overwhelming seasons and feelings can come quickly and can engulf our lives. Last week, Pastor Joy brilliantly set up for us this important four-week series called Overwhelmed by unpacking the one word behind the vast majority of the things that overwhelm us, and that word is worry. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. It's easy to worry. There's so many reasons to worry. And when we focus on worry in our lives, it can overwhelm us and become poisonous for us. Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount force us to ask this question, am I serving the master known as worry or am I serving the master Jesus because I realize that I cannot serve both at the same time? So over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about two specific manifestations that we see so prominently in our culture of that worry, and that is anxiety and depression. We're going to talk about anxiety today, depression next week, and then be sure to be here on the 23rd. Mark it on your calendars because we're going to wrap up this series with a really important Sunday discussing what we actually do with this sense of being overwhelmed. We're holding some things back for that Sunday, so make sure you come and you're a part of that. It's an important Sunday. So anxiety, fun topic this morning, but something we're going to go, uh, we're going to face head on. Let me first start by telling you that it's a little bit odd for me to be talking about anxiety this morning because anxiety is not my struggle. I've never been uh, diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, and while I can certainly own some anxious moments and seasons in my life, uh, I really haven't lived it in the way that some of you have. Despite this, I would humbly ask that you don't just check out or dismiss this word this morning, just as we wouldn't ask an oncologist if they were a cancer survivor before deciding if they had anything to say to us. My work in preparing for this Sunday comes from reading authors and, and, and people who struggle with the depths of anxiety. 
as well as looking at research in psychologists and, and personal conversations. Also as a pastor, as you can imagine, I sit with many people just like you who are crippled with anxiety almost all the time. I've seen its effect on families and marriages, on work, on schoolwork, students who are here. I've seen it in your lives. I've guided many youth and children in, this season, in seasons of deep anxiety, and I've watched it become so prevalent among that demographic, which breaks my heart. So I do know anxiety. So let me start with a few questions. I think some basic questions for us. And the first is this, what is anxiety? Let's just define it first. The American Psychological Association uses this nebulous term anxiety to cover a, a bunch of ground and many different mental or emotional disorders, including things like OCD, PTSD, a, a myriad of phobias and panic disorders. Most psychologists agree that occasional anxiety or anxious feelings or thoughts are actually normal and probably even healthy depending on the situation. The, the issue is regular anxiety because that extends beyond logical worry in a quote, unreasonable, unwarranted, uncontrollable way, end quote. Another way to say this, and this is my definition, is that anxiety is institutionalized worry. Institutionalized worry. It's when worry comes in and it makes its home. Remember from last week, the vast majority of the things that we worry about never come to pass. So anxiety is when we're overwhelmed by the concerns of what might be. I say it's institutionalized worry because it affects the entirety of our lives. The physical effects of anxiety are well documented. They include, but are not limited to, things like a change in breathing, increased respiratory response. Uh, intense worry can lead to like accelerated breathing to the point of hyperventilation. If you've ever been so fixated on something that you're worrying about, uh, and, and you found it hard to breathe, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hypercardiovascular system response. This is when the heart rate rapidly increases and it speeds up the flow of blood through our body. So when you're really worried, your body temperature goes up, which is why you might sweat through your shirt when you're really worried, right? A weakened immune system. The longer you remain in an anxious state, your immune system has to be hyper-engaged and so it begins to work against the normal functions of your body. Studies have found that people who experience prolonged periods of worry are more likely to catch a cold or the flu or have various types of infection. Changes in digestive function. Oh yeah, we're talking digest digestive function this morning. People who carry worry in their bodies have prolonged periods where their stomachs are upset and they have nausea and, and, and it can even lead to ulcers. And then insomnia. Many high anxiety, high anxiety people report an inability to rest or relax and a constant state of a racing mind that keeps them from good sleep or any sleep at all. And this obviously has widespread effects on your life if you're not sleeping. So this is why I say institutionalized worry. It affects the entire institution of our bodies. And for those of you who struggle with it, or those of you who care for people who struggle with anxiety, you know that this can be debilitating or all-encompassing. So another question that's kind of an obvious one, why, why are some people anxious and other people not super anxious? Well, there are several factors to this. The biggest factor for anxiety is your genome. You, some of you are genetically predisposed to anxiety. You didn't ask for it, you just got it as part of your DNA, part of your makeup. Another factor is trauma. 
High anxiety is often a response to fears that have impacted your life in a very tangible way. And, and worry can be the brain's way of navigating you through that trauma. Again, my guess is you probably didn't ask for that trauma. Most of you, it happened to you. Now, some of us are anxious because of things that we have done. We've overextended ourselves. We set poor boundaries. We've, we've given in to worry and the dopamine hit that it gives to us. Anxiety can also be tied to feelings of guilt and shame over wrongs that we've done, sins that we've committed. There's no way to answer this question simply other than to say, very few people that I know desire to be anxious, enjoy being anxious. But once we've institutionalized worry in that way, it's really hard to imagine living any other way. Unfortunately, it does appear as if anxiety is on the rise. According to the ADAA, nearly one in five people have an anxiety disorder, making it the most common mental illness in the United States. The largest spike that we see right now is between 10 and 19-year-olds, and the Cleveland Clinic has made a pretty compelling connection between young kids who are overscheduled and anxiety in the teenage years. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, so hang on for that. But yes, anxiety does appear to be on the rise. Interestingly, but totally logically, if you think about it, the most anxious, anxious nations are not the poor nations, it's the wealthy nations. High wealth nations have nearly five times the amount of anxiety disorders as impoverished nations. What does this mean for us? It means that whether you like it or not, you are in the epicenter of anxiety. <laughs> Leading columnist David Brooks to dub America the anxious nation. This is not a good thing. This is not where we want to land here as a people. Which leads me to the next question. Not Christians, right? I mean, can I really be a Christian and struggle with anxiety? I mean, we're supposed to be happy and worshipful and peaceful as Christ followers, right? Well, look around you. If that's the case, it's not working. No, Christians are not exempt from worry or anxiety or trouble. So I, I want to be heard very clearly this morning. If you have ever felt like this church or any church that you've ever been a part of was an unsafe place for you to, be, to, to own your struggle with anxiety, I am so, so sorry. It should never, ever be that way. Of course you can be a Christ follower and still struggle with anxiety. In fact, I think this is exactly the place that you need to be if you're struggling with anxiety because a church that functions in the way it should is a healthy place for you to be. The National Alliance of, of Mental Illness lists faith communities as one of the chief healthy practices for people with high anxiety. Not only is it a welcoming and accepting place, owing to the fact that we're all flawed, we're all broken, we all need help of various kinds, but it's also a community that's not going to, to relegate you to just being an anxious person. It's actually going to provide you with tools for a healthier life. Which leads me to the fourth question. What does the Bible say about anxiety? What does the Bible say about anxiety? That's a great question. Anxiety is a word that the Bible uses with some frequency, and there's evidence of anxiety sort of everywhere in the Bible. Godly men and women in the Bible exhibit anxious behavior, and, and I can make a pretty strong case that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what's going on? He's having a, a panic attack. He's having an anxious anxiety attack. That's what's happening. But it's clear that even though anxiety is a reality in the Bible, it's also clear that anxiety is not what God desires for us. 
In a society where anxiety can become a label or worse, a badge of honor of some kind, the Bible says pretty clearly that anxiety is less than the abundant life of Jesus Christ. And it's an indication of the brokenness of the world that God sent his son Jesus into to redeem. So in other words, and this may be a hard word, God doesn't want you to stay anxious. God designed you to walk in peace, not anxiety, which means that he calls us to trust instead of worry. Amy Simpson's book on anxiety keeps going back to over and over and over again that anxiety is a lack of trust in God. John Mark Comer puts it rather pointedly. He said, anxiety is temporary atheism. It's when you stop trusting God, you suspend your faith, choosing worry instead, when you stop believing what is true. And this comes from a man and a pastor who has experienced the depths of anxiety. So the witness of the Bible, if I can boil it down, is that God loves you very much. His grace is sufficient for you, and he loves you even in the midst of your anxious mess. And he loves you way too much to let you stay there. So the last question, what do we do about anxiety? It's epidemic in our culture. What do we do about anxiety? Let's look at our text from Philippians 4, part of it. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Joy touched on this idea of praying instead of worrying last week. And then when we read this passage, that's kind of what it seems to be saying. Maybe it feels a little oversimplistic. I mean, instead of being anxious, just pray and God will give you peace. It's that easy. Well, for those of you who struggle with anxiety, you know that it's not that easy. There are simply no easy answers, no magic words, no quick fixes when it comes to this. But J.P. Moreland's book on anxiety called Finding Quiet, it's brilliant and balanced, and he offers some treatments that I would echo this morning. First is go talk to somebody, get some help, get some therapy. You might consider treating anxiety with medication if that's appropriate because sometimes medication can be helpful. Now, I, I wanna just say I'm pretty firmly in the camp that not everybody who experiences anxiety needs medication. Um, and I think that many of us are over-medicated for that, to be frank with you. I'm not anti-medication, um, but I wanna be clear on something this morning, and that is anxiety medication does not cure anxiety. What it does is it regulates the anxiety in us so that you're able to do the second treatment that he suggests, which is physiological, psychological, spiritual exercises, particularly of the mind. When David prays in Psalm 139, he, I believe, is experiencing anxiety. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Now, it's a little strange, isn't it? Read it again while it's up there. It's a little bit strange. Know my heart and know my thoughts. That's weird, right? Because the heart doesn't think, the brain thinks. So what is, David, what is David saying here? Well, in the Hebrew mindset, this actually makes perfect sense. The Hebrew word for heart, which is lev, it refers to the intellectual center of the human being. The ancient Hebrews saw what we would call the brain and the heart as sort of like one unit. 
Your heart is where thinking happens, where thought happens, and where decisions happen. So what we conceive as the function of the brain in the 21st century is what they refer to as the heart. So in 2020 world, Western world, so to speak, David is saying, Lord, know my brain, God. Scan my brain. Test my brain. And this is Moreland's main point in this book. We, we, can, we can get medication. We can go see a psychologist. Those, are, those could be important things. But it needs to be coupled with rigorous work on our minds. He claims that anxiety is largely a habit wired or grooved into the brain and nervous system. Therefore, replacing old habits, old thinking habits, with new thinking habits through certain daily practices, spiritual practices, can help to get rid of anxiety. Knowing what we now know about brain chemistry and development and function, David was actually way, way, way ahead of his time here. God, search my brain. Find the, the ruts and the grooves of institutionalized worry or anxiety that have been etched so deeply into my mind and come in and rewire them, retrain them, heal them. Anxiety is a matter of the mind, or if you're a Hebrew, the heart. It's a battle for your thoughts, which is why our text today actually isn't a quick and cheap answer. It's something worth meditating over and over and over again for its amazing depth. Do not worry about anything. Another translation, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You see, when we resist worry in our minds and we choose to pray earnestly instead, turning those worries into prayers, we are literally rewiring our brains. This is how God made our brains malleable. Um, movable. This is how God created us. We are, when we resist those anxious thoughts, we are, we are throwing up the gates around our mind, and we're saying, God, take over. I have a visual for you if it's helpful. Katie and I um, took my in-laws this week to see a, a brilliant young pianist perform Chopin. Some of you know Chopin's music. It's very technical. She was this young Polish uh, uh, virtuoso. She was really brilliant. Now, I was reminded of the most amazing thing when watching a virtuoso like that, and it's her control. Her hands and fingers were moving so rapidly, my eyes couldn't even comprehend what was going on, right? Like, my brain couldn't even figure out exactly what was happening. But as I'm watching her, from the wrists up, she is in complete and total control, right? I had the privilege of seeing the Romanian pianist Radu Lupu about 20 years ago, packed concert hall with a full orchestra. This is a picture of him. Look at how he's sitting. He's not even on a piano bench. He's on like a regular chair with a back. It's like he's in a recliner, right? <laughs> and, he, and his hands are doing just the most incredible things you've ever seen. There's noise, right? There's lots of noise, but his body is in complete control. Friends, we, we can't eliminate all the, the noise. Our goal cannot be to eliminate all worry, to never be anxious, to be in some zen-like state of perfection of perfect peace. When we are anxious, the goal has to be to not institutionalize that worry and have it affect our entire bodies and our entire lives. The craziness, the worry, the, the need for those things needs to, it needs to stay below the knuckles, if you will. If we take worry and we choose to, 
to pray it away rather than giving it a home. If we cast our cares upon God, we can manage the anxious thought without having to deal with full-blown anxiety. We can retrain our minds with the help of God. It's hard work. It's a daily battle. As John Mark Comer put it, if you're going to survive this war, you need to be a domineering, controlling, micromanaging tyrant when it comes to your thought life. Any and all thoughts outside of God's word, you take captive, shut up, and expel. You give those thoughts no time, no mental real estate, no free pass. You throw those thoughts in prison, no better yet. You send them straight to solitary confinement, and when you're done, you throw away the keys. You throw up the gates, and you keep worry from traveling beyond the knuckles. Look at the second part of the verse, by the way, for our text. When we pray instead of worry, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hearts and minds. That's your, that's your thought. That's your brain. God is going to guard that. He will help you throw up the gates and, 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 and keep it from taking over your life. So when you do that, God gives you an incomprehensible peace, and your mind can rest, and your heart slows down, and your stomach calms and you stop sweating, and you can sleep. Doesn't that sound a whole lot more like the abundant life of Jesus Christ? So if you're a person who's anxious, who struggles with anxiety, I just want to say we're glad you're here. You're in the right place. We love you. We want to help. We want to be a place where you can start the hard work of retraining your mind to cast out worry with the power of prayer and so receive the peace that Christ alone can give. For those of you who are here this morning, who are near to those who are anxious on a regular basis, who care for them, we're glad you're here too. Talked with a friend this week who, who talked about someone that he cares for who has anxiety and says, sometimes it feels like there's two people in the room, this person I love and anxiety is its own person. Some of you know that feeling. What do you do? You can enter into a robust prayer practice for the renewal of your loved one's mind as well. And we want to help you do that. Friends, anxiety need not overwhelm us. It ought not define us, God forbid. God gives us tools to keep anxious thoughts from taking over our lives, so let's use them together with the help of God, who is the giver of immeasurable peace. I'm going to invite the band forward. I'm going to pray this morning. And in my prayers, what I'm, I'm going to do is I'm just going to turn some of the worries that I think we all have into prayers. And you can use this as a model for how to do this in your own life. Let's pray. Lord, it's my desire today to not allow worry to overwhelm my life and become anxiety in me. So I name the worries, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about a relationship with fill in the blank, a sibling, a spouse, a friend, a child, a coworker. Instead, would you teach us to pray, Lord, I trust you that you care about this relationship and that you are present with me and you're going to help me with this. Lord, when we're worried about our future, our jobs, our health, our retirements. Instead, help us to pray, Lord, I trust you with my future. 
you know better than I do. Lord, when we're worried, how am I ever going to pay off this debt? How am I ever going to pay for college, Lord? How am I ever going to get ahead? Instead, we pray, Lord, I trust that you care about these things, that you're present in them, and that you will help me. Lord, when we're worried that something bad is going to happen to us or the people that we love, instead, help us to pray, oh, Lord, our God, you are a shield about us. You're a good protector. We trust in you. Would you give us the courage to turn these worries into prayers and by doing so, saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be transformed by the renewal of my mind. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Stand together.